this morning, filling in for, for Gretchen there. We're going to ask the children to make their way to junior church at this time. And while they're making their way, the rest of us will turn to Romans chapter 16, beginning with verse 17. Romans chapter 16, beginning with verse 17. And the obvious question is, since this is the end of the book of Romans, where do we go next? Well, I should have given you advance warning if you were going to memorize the book, but uh, I, I assume by the chuckles that most of you aren't planning on memorizing it. But we're going to go from Romans to Ephesians. So we'll start the book of Ephesians next week and uh, take a look at just how rich we really are. So that, that'll be next week. But you can read ahead, read the opening chapter at least for, for next week in the book of Romans. There's a couple empty places up front here, and uh, now, okay, let's start with verse 17. Now, I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, as does Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the... City treasurer greets you, and Cortus the brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret from long ages past, but now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations leading to obedience of faith. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be glory forever. Amen. It was my intention to finish the book of Romans before Easter. Didn't quite make it. We, we have one lesson left over. The reason I wanted to finish before Easter was I knew April 1st, some of our snowbirds would be coming back, and I didn't want them thinking we didn't do anything all year. You're still in Romans? You were, we were in Romans when they left. Uh, I was just looking at my notes this morning. We've been in Romans for over a year, and it's been a tremendous book. Uh, As we've seen the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we began in the opening chapters by being convicted by the message of the wrath of God that was revealed against ungodliness, unrighteousness, and the end result of that, you come down to 323, was all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. We all were in need of the Savior, all in need of Jesus Christ. Having been convicted by the wrath of God, we were then encouraged by the work of God. His work included our justification, being justified by faith. We have peace with God. It, it included our, our sanctification and ultimately our glorification as part of the work of Jesus Christ. And then we were enlightened by looking at a glimpse of the wisdom of God. In verse, in chapters 9 through 11, we got a glimpse of what God was doing in the nation of Israel, what he intends to do later in the nation of Israel, but also we got a glimpse of what 
his purpose and plan was for the church of Jesus Christ and what he's doing today in hearts and, and lives. And then we came to chapter 12. We were challenged by the will of God. What is it that, what is to be our response to all that God has done for us? And he starts out with a very hard challenge there. Present your bodies as what? Living sacrifices. Live out your faith. And we explored many areas in which that applies in, in our life today. Now we come to what I've called parting words. The last words that the Apostle Paul has to share. And you wonder, after we looked at all of the, the doctrine that he revealed to us, what more does he have and what more can be said? And yet parting words can be important. We had the privilege of having some parting words this week. Uh, we got a call that our brother-in-law was in the hospital, not doing very well. And uh, we usually take Fridays off and, and go to town because that's the only way we get away from the phone and, and, the, uh, and everything. And so we planned to go on Friday to see him over in Coeur d'Alene. But we really felt compelled to go on Thursday. And uh, we are so thankful that we did. We had the opportunity to have some parting words with him, last words. By Friday morning, he was not aware of what was going on. And by Friday night, he was home with the Lord in glory. So we're thankful for parting words, thankful for the opportunity to, to make those last connections here. And Paul, as he wrote these words, wasn't sure but what they might be the last words that he had for the church in Rome. Because Paul, as he wrote these words, was in Corinth. He was about to take a, an offering that he had collected from several of the churches, go with that collection back to this, the city of Jerusalem. Not sure what was going to happen there. He was not welcomed by the, the, the Jewish leaders in, in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, he wound up in prison shortly after he got there. They wanted to put him to death. And so Paul, as he wrote these words, was well aware that these might be the last words that I have to communicate to the church in Rome. And so they take on some added significance when, when we think about that. Now, the Lord spared his life. He was in prison for two years, and then at the expense of the Roman government, he eventually made it to Rome as a prisoner and was able to interact with many of the, the Roman believers at, at that point in time. But knowing it might be his last words, he comes, first of all, with a word of warning. As I mentioned as we started, Romans is a tremendous book. If you don't memorize any other book of the Bible, memorize Romans. Get it, get it fixed in your mind. There's so much in it that, that is worth having in the back of our mind when we read it there. It's heavy on doctrine. There's very little personal insight into what was going on in Rome. Uh, he, he doesn't give us a, a whole lot of details there. We don't know why he felt compelled to come with a word of warning to the church. Perhaps it was similar to what was going on in, in Acts chapter 20 when he was about to leave Ephesus for the last time. In, in Acts chapter 20, and I, I jumped ahead of you on my notes there, uh, as he gives the word of warning, he says, beware of evil doers there. And that's the message he had to Ephesus in, in Acts 20. Beginning in verse 28, he says, be on your guard for yourself and for all the flock amongst which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. Redeemed by the blood, aren't we? We've been purchased by that blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
And from among your own selves, men will rise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples with them. And so he encourages the church in Ephesus, and now he's encouraging the church in Rome uh, to beware of evil doers. Sometimes they come from outside. Sometimes they come from within the, the church there. And he brings two commands in that area. First of all, we need to identify the troublemakers. The word that he uses here is keep your eye upon them. It can also be translated mark. The word that he uses here means you need to exercise discernment. We need to be wise in evaluating, especially when it comes to choosing leaders, wise in who we put into a place of responsibility. If we ignore their qualifications uh, Paul is suggesting here it will lead to dissensions and it will lead to divisions within a church fellowship here. Uh, and the problem with that is that hinders the spread of the gospel. That's what we're here for. That's what Paul started out with. Remember, he came preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ back in, in, in Romans chapter 1. That, that was the whole thrust of, of this epistle here. And, and uh, divisions and dissensions can can cause that. To, to stop. Uh, we're here for the outreach of the church. That's our whole purpose in being here. If, if, if we didn't have that purpose, we might as well be home with the Lord in glory. Uh, he has a work for us to do, and that involves reaching men and women, boys and girls, with, with the gospel message. And that, that needs to be uppermost in, in our, our thinking as we walk through here. We're not here to ask the question, what's in it for me? We're here to follow the king. We're here to, to do his work and, and to accomplish the work of the gospel today. So he says, I want you to identify the troublemakers. And then the second command is turn away from that. Now, that seems like rather harsh. And it, sometimes that's hard to do. But I think elsewhere, Paul summarizes the problem when he said a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have gotten into making rolls and I, I put a leavening agent in, in them. I don't put very much leaven in it. Um, I, I do uh, two pans of rolls. I take four of those little tiny packages of yeast. That's all that's in it. But it affects the whole loaf. It, it affects the, the whole lump that, that, that is there. And that, that's the idea that he has in mind. We are to turn away because it's going to cause problems if, if we don't. And who are the troublemakers? Well, he identifies them here in several ways. First of all, he says they are slaves of their own appetites. They are here for themselves. They, they've missed the message of Romans. Remember back in, in chapter 12, verse 1, he said, I want you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. They missed that idea. They, they were in it and they were asking the question, what's in it for me? What is it doing for me? Not is it affecting the spread of the gospel, but how does it uh, affect me? We are called to be bondservants of Jesus Christ. A bondservant doesn't have his own personal agenda. The bondservant has the responsibility of carrying out the will of the master. And that is our responsibility, not selfish goals, not our own appetites, not our lust for power or lust for control or whatever that lust may be. Not what's in it for me, but what is in it for Jesus Christ. If we don't have that attitude, then we are slaves of our own appetite. And with that, he said, they are also deceptive. They will often come 
with smooth-talking words, uh, words that really mean nothing to them, that have no substance. I, I think of Matthew chapter 7 in that connection. Jesus is talking about false prophets there in, in verse uh, 17, or 15, I mean. He said, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Same term that Paul used of in the church of Ephesus there. He said, you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes and fig trees from thistles, are they? Every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. They are deceptive. They they know the language. They, they can come with the right words. They, they can even quote scripture at times. Did you ever notice that Satan was a master at that? When it came to the temptation of Jesus, where did he turn? Went to the Old Testament. Three different passages that, that, that he quoted from there. Uh, he twisted it for his own advantage, but, but he knew it. And that is the case many times with those who are evildoers. Uh, I'm amazed at how many people can quote different phrases of scripture. Uh, you, you ever have somebody quote Matthew 7 to you, the opening part of that? Judge not that you be not judged. When you point out a sin in their life, they're quick to jump on that verse. They don't read the context. They don't know what it means, but they know that that much of it anyhow. We need to beware of that kind of thinking. Another area that is deceptive today is you ever have somebody come up and say, well, if God is love, how come there's so much suffering in the world? Well, the fact of the matter is Scripture says God is love. Repeats it three times in the book of First uh, John there, and and we recognize that fact. But uh, do we understand love the way that John understood it? Do do we realize that God's love incorporates His His judgment at times? Uh, how many parents love their children and yet still discipline them? If they really love their children, they would discipline them when they need it. You let a child go undisciplined, and what do you have? You have a spoiled brat. <laughs> and eventually you have a, a delinquent and you have somebody that the world has to teach discipline to in, in other forms. Sometimes it's through the military. Sometimes it's through a prison sentence. But uh, if you don't discipline that child, you're not really loving that child. And the same thing is true of God. God when we say God is love, that doesn't mean God is obligated to do everything we think he should do. He's going to act in accordance with his nature there. And so we need to be aware of that deception today. Not only do we, does he call us to identify the troublemakers or to beware of, uh, uh, beware of the evildoers, but we also need to beware of the evil one himself, verses 19 and 20 here. Uh, the real power behind the scenes is Satan himself and his demonic powers. We are never called to fight one another. The, our brother and sister in Christ is not our enemy. We, we may at times have to reprove. We, we may have to correct. But we should never look at them as our enemy. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. The real enemy is the power behind the scenes. Whenever we encounter division, opposition within, it's good for us to stop and ask, how is Satan involved in this? What, what, what is going on here? Because he is the one that we are to be aware of here. Paul commends the church at this point for their obedience uh, in verse 19. He said, the report of your obedience has reached 
to all. Uh, what, a, what a tremendous testimony that was to the faith of, of the Roman church and the Roman believers. It, it, that, that message had spread throughout the empire. Here is a church that is walking in obedience to Jesus Christ. But he comes, in, in, knowing that, he comes with a word of warning. He said, I want you to be wise in what is good, harmless or innocent in what is evil there. What is he saying in that? He's saying, you need to know the truth. You need to concentrate on needing, knowing the truth. You don't need to know all the ins and outs of evil. You need to know, thus saith the Lord. And what does God have to say in those areas? There is a danger involved in learning evil. Uh, remember reading years ago of a pastor in Arizona that felt it was his responsibility to censor the movies that were being put out. And so he joined the censor board. He watched all of the movies that were coming out, and it wasn't long until he had moral failure in his life. He, he was programming all of that filth into his mind, and it got a hold of his heart and, and life there. We don't need to do that. Uh, you ever have somebody say, well, you can't judge a book by a cover? I take the opposite of you. I think you can judge a book by a cover. Now, you, you walk through through the library, you, you walk through the bookstores, uh, and there's a lot of books that just by looking at the cover says, don't pick me up. It's not worth your time. It's not, not worth looking at or, or reading. He calls us to know the truth. In, in the banking industry, they teach the tellers in the bank to recognize the real thing. Can't begin to teach them all the counterfeits that are out there, but they can teach them the real thing. And, and if they know the real thing when something doesn't feel right or look right, then they know it's counterfeit because they know the truth. They, they know what is what is real. And that's what Paul is suggesting here. It, it's not that we bury our head in the sand and, and don't know what's going on around us, but be careful because Satan is out to deceive. He's out like he did within, uh, in Adam and Eve's life to twist the truth. Has, has God really said, does, does God really mean this? We, we need to know the truth and practice the truth in our life. And when we do that, notice he says, the end result is the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's the promise came out of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when Adam and Eve sinned and were called into account with God, and then God took issue with, with Satan in that account. He said, the day is coming when you're going to bruise the heel of the Messiah, but he's going to crush your head. Ultimately, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is victor, and ultimately he will triumph over the evil one. We, we wonder sometimes, we look at the world around us and the direction that our society is headed and wonder where is it all going to end. It's going to end when God puts his foot down. And God says enough is enough, and he will be the victor in that case. So he came with a word of warning to the church in Rome. He also comes in verses 21 through 24. I believe what he's saying here is a word of encouragement. It's a new list of names. We, we looked at several a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, when we looked at the list and starting in verse 7 there. But this list is different than that one. This is a list of eight co-workers that were obviously at this point in time working with the Apostle Paul. And again, as in the previous list, some of them we know a little bit about. Some of them we know nothing about. And yet God has put their names here for a purpose. Uh, they evidently were known by 
the early church and probably by the people in Rome as well. And, and so I think he's saying more than just tell them hello. I, I, I like to do that when I, I'm not a letter writer. I, I, I married a writer. I, I don't have to write letters. <laughs> That's one of the reasons I married her. She, she can say it far better than me. A lot of times uh, when she's texting or typing, she says, you want to add a note? No, I don't want to add a note, <laughs> but you can tell them hello for me, <laughs> and, and she very graciously does that for me, but um, I, I just as soon say, no, you go ahead and do it there. But but Paul was doing more, I think, than say, just saying these individuals want to say to, hello to you here. Uh, I think these individuals that he names here had a, a, a real desire to be a blessing to the church at Rome. I think they prayed for the church in Rome. I, I think they supported the Apostle Paul in his desire to encourage the, the church in Rome. It, it, um, it um, wasn't just Paul's work, as, as you read these, this list of names. Uh, it was the work of many individuals working together that accomplished the work there in Corinth and, and would accomplish the work in, in Rome. We need to encourage one another in serving the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. I was thinking of that as I, I looked at um, Christianity Today and, and Discipleship Magazine both came out, or not, Christianity Today and Decision both came out with uh, a special issue on, on Billy Graham and, and what he was able to accomplish over the years. But you know, Billy Graham would be the first to tell you it wasn't me. It was a host of individuals that labored together. Pictured in there is the, the team of uh, that he worked with so closely: George Beverly Shea and and uh, Cliff Barrows and, and Grady Wilson and o- others there. But beyond that, there was a host of men and women that supported that ministry in prayer and in financial giving. It wouldn't have existed w- without them. And he would b- be the first to say that those share in in what he was able to accomplish there. And that's what Paul, I think, is saying here as he, he gives this list. He starts with um, Timothy. We're a little bit aware of Timothy. Uh, we have two epistles written to Timothy. We know he traveled with Paul. We know that Paul was able to send him to different churches to, to minister on, on his own there. Uh, he simply calls him his, his fellow worker here. Then he mentions Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater. What do we know about them? Well, he says they're my kinsmen. Were they related or was, was this a t- way of saying my brothers in the Lord? I don't know. And, and you know what? You don't know either <laughs> because God hasn't told us. We're, we're going to have to wait till we get the glory to find out more about what was taking place in, in, in these lives. But what Paul is saying here is three individuals that labor together with me that are continuing to labor with me. And he was, in a sense, saying, thank you, Lord. I'm not alone in the battle. There are men and women standing with me in in the work that I'm doing. And then he mentions Tertius. uh, He says the one who actually wrote the letter, he was a scribe. The Apostle Paul dictated it. uh, We've talked some about maybe it's time that we have a church secretary and so forth, but... uh, the, the, the problem with that is whoever becomes secretary would have to read Egyptian hieroglyphics. <laughs> about, about, about the only one that can read that, the, my notes when I scribble them out, is my wife. And, and a lot of times she has to ask, 
What is this? Even when I type it, she has to ask sometimes. <laughs> because my typewriter doesn't type what I'm trying to say. <laughs> it types the wrong letter. So, and, and she puzzles over, over that when she, when she does the notes for up here. You'd be in trouble if I had to do those notes. You, you, you would struggle to figure out what I was trying to, to say up there. So this was the scribe. Paul dictated the letter and he was writing it down as, as Paul dictated it. Again, he was performing a very valuable service. Would it have gotten done if Paul had to write it? I don't know. It's much like, uh, well, when I was in school, I had to write papers, but uh, I, I do very little writing beyond that because that's just not my area. And I got a feeling that Paul was a very busy man and it was much easier for him to uh, dictate it and have somebody else do the actual work of polishing it and putting it in Make sure it was spelled correctly and, and the whole, whole works there rather than uh, doing it himself there. So here was a valuable individual in Paul's life and ministry. And then there was Gaius, host to me and to the whole church. Evidently, the church that Paul was working with there in Corinth met in his house. And he had opened his house up to, to the church. They, they would meet there on a regular basis and have fellowship together there. Then he mentions Erastus, the city treasurer. Isn't it amazing how the gospel was spreading? A man in, in an influential position in, in Corinth uh, had come to know Jesus Christ as his personal savior. And then he mentions Cortus a, as a, a brother here. But I think what he's saying in all of this is we are part of a larger body. We are here to work together for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think uh, we're currently working on a new directory there because... Some of you aren't pictured in it. Now, if you got a hold of my directory, at least your name is written down in there if you filled out a card so that I know who you are. But, you know, it's encouraging to look that directory over and ask, what are they doing? How are they serving Jesus Christ? And to see how they're fitting in, what part they're playing. I think we need to go through that directory and, and the new one when it comes out and just take some time to just say thank you lord for each individual that he has brought our way and for the valuable service that that they bring to to this particular part of of the work of god it doesn't matter what their social status is or where they're from the, the fact is they are laborers together for the sake of the gospel we have uh, vbs coming up you know what? VBS isn't going to be a one-woman affair, is it, Diana? It's going to be a multitude of people. Uh, I, I think there's some uh, new totes that showed up back there, and uh, I'm getting a little bit frustrated with all the totes back there because uh, uh, that, that just, uh, uh, like I mentioned last week, it was getting that way in my office, and I did some house cleaning. <laughs> so, so ladies, beware. If you come in and find that, that gone, you know who to talk to. But uh, we, we need some, uh, what is it, bottles and some cereal boxes and so forth for, for the crafts for VBS. You know what? The ones that are in charge of crafts aren't going to drink all of that pop, and they're not going to eat all of that cereal. You're going to have to play a part and, and eat some of that and get the boxes here if that work's going to get done there. Uh, praise the Lord. We have a sufficient number of people that, that can do that. And we can get the work done. It, it, we, we need to ask how can we help and 
and then I think we need to take some time and say thank you, Lord, for the multitude that you send, the multitude of workers and helpers, and, 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 and give the Lord the glory for that. And when we do that, then, verse 24, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. It's as we work together, as we share together, that we get a glimpse in a deeper way of the grace of Jesus Christ. What is he doing in hearts and lives? And, and what, what is taking place in, in our midst that we, if we're not careful, we don't even stop to think about. But God's grace is available today. Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And whether you realize it or not, you are what you are today by the grace of God. He's made you, he's formed you, he's gifted you, and you have the privilege of reflecting that grace to others today. Then he comes with a word of, of benediction in verses 25 through 27. It is, in a sense, he's breaking into here, I think, a doxology of praise. As he considers all that is going on in the Church of Rome, it's a doxology of praise. We sometimes sing that song, the doxology. How many of you know it? Yeah, most of you do. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. I'm told, and I I wish we could have been here to hear it, but I'm told that one of the first official songs that were sung back here was when the New Legacy Project was here a couple weeks ago. We were up enjoying a blizzard. You were here enjoying the music. But I'm told that as the, the five men went in there and saw what was taking place, they asked, can we sing the doxology? And I, I hear there wasn't a dry eye back there as, as together they recognized to, to God be the glory for, for what he is doing there. Now, I, I say that was the first official song. I, I've heard some other songs sung in there. Uh, I, I shouldn't tell stories on Larry, but sometimes when he's working, <laughs> when he's working alone back there, he's singing praises to the Lord. So he gets the credit for being the first one, I think, singing back there. But uh, they, they, came together and they sang a doxology of praise to, to, to the Lord there. And, and Paul is rejoicing here in what God is doing. And, and, and as we think of a doxology of praise, do we really mean it? Do we really want to praise the Lord? I, I, I think of my tradition, the home church that I grew up in, uh, left there 50 years ago now, but uh, I, I still remember as a little as a child of about eight or nine, starting attending church there. And every Sunday morning, they started their worship service with the doxology. And if you've been involved in that tradition, Liz, was that your tradition? Yeah, I, I thought so. But, uh, we just sang it every week. You, you, instead of a gathering song, it, our gathering song was the doxology. It was, it was designed to remind us that we're coming into the presence of the Lord. We're coming into the presence of the King of Kings, and, and we're here to, to worship him. And yet, if, if we're not careful, we go through an experience like that, and it misses, we miss the significance of it. That's one of the problems with uh, the Lord's Prayer. How many of you can say the Lord's Prayer from memory? Yeah, some of you can, anyhow. Uh, we said it every every school day for 12 years when I was in school. Now, I know... We, we, I ended school but just at the time when it was getting to the place where you could not legally do that anymore. But for 12 years, uh, we, we said the Lord's Prayer at, at, to open our school day with. We said the, the pledge to the flag. We, we said the Lord's Prayer, and we read a, a psalm. And that uh, This was the public school system, but that, that was just part of our 
tradition back there. The, the problem with that is for years I said the Lord's Prayer and I didn't even know who the Lord was. Uh, I, I could mouth the words to keep the teacher happy and off your back, but uh, didn't, didn't mean anything. And, and when it comes to the doxology, do we really come? Do we really sing these songs that we sing as gathering songs? Do we really sing them? Because we love the Lord. And we want to reflect that back to him in, in song there. Paul comes with a doxology of praise. Uh, as he praising the Lord here, he, he's thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the book of Romans was all about. We, we explored the, the, the gospel message from the very beginning with the wrath of God against sin and then the, the work of God that revealed how we can become part of God's family and then his, his wisdom and his will for us. So he, he's, he's taking a moment and saying, thank you, Lord, that all of these truths that it took us a year to go over are real and they're true and they have a valid application in our life. And he's thanking the Lord for that. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I jokingly say, you're going to memorize the next book. But do we really appreciate the fact that God's given us his word? Now, I, I realize some of us, and not all of you, but some of us are getting older. And memory work is just a little bit harder than it, than it used to be. But do we take the time every day to get into his word? Whether we memorize it or not is not the issue. But do we take time to get into it? And get it into our heart and into our thinking. Uh, are we programming it into our life there? He was thankful for the, the gospel message, the preaching of Jesus Christ. And he mentions here the revelation of the mystery. The mystery refers, I believe, here, as we saw earlier in the book, back to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth of the gospel, of what God was doing in and through his work and, and his church today. But ultimately, as you look at those closing verses, what he is really saying here is Jesus Christ is the one worthy of worship. He is the one that we should be offering our praise and our worship to today. Sometimes we need to go back to that song we sang at the beginning of the service. Open our eyes. Open our eyes to what you're doing in our hearts. Open our eyes to what you're doing in our life. Oh, open our eyes so that we, we can get a glimpse of, of Jesus Christ and, and what he is doing and contemplate his work and, and his wisdom in our lives. And then as, as we do that, notice that little phrase in verse 26 there. As we take the time to meditate on praise God, ask him to open our eyes. He said it leads to what? The obedience of faith. When we really get a glimpse of who Jesus Christ is, we need to pray, Lord, what would you have me to do? Not just, Lord, what have you done for me? And that, that, that's a tremendous when we think of the work of justification being made right with God. It's tremendous to think of the changes that, it, that he brings into our heart and life and so forth. But beyond that, I think we need to pray, Lord, be glorified through my life, through my obedience. Not not just through a song of praise that we might mouth, but Lord, be glorified through me. Do we really desire Jesus Christ to be glorified through us? Are we willing to say, like the prophet Isaiah so many years ago, Lord, here am I, use me, use me. I'll do whatever it is that you ask so that Jesus Christ will be glorified in my life. 
So Paul comes with a word of warning. The danger is real there. We, we can't go through life with that attitude, what's in it for me? We need to ask, what's in it for Jesus Christ? How can he be glorified? How can we best live, become that living sacrifice that he calls us to be in chapter 12? In the final analysis, it's his church. It's his way. He's the one that died for us. He's the one that's made it possible for us to be part of his family. Are we here today with that desire to say, Lord, here am I. Use me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the tremendous truth that has been revealed to us through the message that Paul gave in this book of Romans. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that while we were yet in our sins, Christ died for us, brought us into the family of God, redeemed us, set us free from the bondage of sin and Satan, and has a glorious future awaiting us beyond the grave. And we thank you for that. But Father, we would be remiss if we didn't stop and say, Lord, what's our response? Are we willing to say, Father, here I am, a sacrifice, a living sacrifice to be used for the glory of Jesus Christ. Give us the courage to pray, Lord, whatever you choose, whatever you, however you lead, that's what I want to do this week for the glory of Jesus Christ. We ask that in his name. Amen. We're going to turn and sing number 259, Are You Washed in the Blood? Then Dan's going to come and lead us in announcements. And I'm going to leave you on your own on the closing song. I'm not going to come back up and and lead you in that. I think we know it well enough that you you don't need somebody standing up here. So we're going to sing, Are You Washed in the Blood? It's up, up on the screen there for you today.